It's uh, it's really good to uh, to be with you guys tonight. Uh, as you know, we're in our series called the Ten Commandments, uh, and so we're going to kind of jump into uh, the third commandment. Um, and so what I'm going to do is kind of kind of go back where we started uh, a little bit, just kind of share a little bit about that, and then kind of bring us up to the third commandment, just so we can all be on the same page. Uh, together. But before I do that, I'm going to go ahead and pray for us and just pray that God moves in a powerful way and that his word just reveals some really neat stuff. Um, I truly believe that uh, when we open God's word, it's it's transformational. Uh, sometimes we, we want to make it transactional where we're just reading something, uh, but we're missing the point if it's not transformational, which means it actually changes the person that I am. So uh, I'm going to pray that for you tonight, as well as myself, as I teach through this. Um, so let's go ahead and pray. Father, uh, thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to come before you, to open your word, and to really learn. And I want to pray and ask, Lord, um, that every single person in this room, where, wherever they're at spiritually, that, Lord, you would challenge them, Lord, that you um, you would use your words uh, just to motivate them and move them to be more like you. And Lord, we're excited to see what you're going to do tonight. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. So uh, let me kind of uh, talk a little bit about kind of the Ten Commandments. And um, the first week that I taught, and I know I wasn't here last week, Greg was, did an awesome job. Uh, but the first week I talked about this idea that in Jewish culture, the, the Ten Commandments most likely were seen as a ketubah or a marriage contract. And so when we were headed into the Ten Commandments, and when, when Moses was given them and he was going to the people of Israel, and, 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 or the children, whatever, the children of Israel, and, and he was giving them those commandments, what, what he was saying is this, hey guys, God's serious about this relationship with you. And if this relationship is going to work, then these are the things that have to be true in your life. And so it was like an agreement, of a marriage contract, and that was a normal thing in the culture back then, that you had this marriage contract, so you understood that. And so the first commandment we talked about was this idea that you can't have other gods in your life, right? And so the idea of th- is this, is, I mean, you can't have other lovers. Like, if, if, if you're married, you, you can't still be dating. Um, it just doesn't work. And God, what God is saying is, hey, if this relationship is going to work, if this is going to happen between us, then I've got to be number one in your life. You can't have other lovers. Uh, number two, which uh, Greg talked about a little bit last week, was this idea that you can't have any other idols. Now, let me ask you this question. This is an interesting one. My glasses are so foggy. I can't, I think they're really dirty, but, um, sorry, that was an ADD moment. <laughs> you notice that? Um, in, in, in that time and in that day, if, if you were Jewish, this, this is really interesting, and I'm going to see if you can answer this question. We have some mic runners here, or we have one mic runner here. Do we have another one? Back there. Sweet, Adam's a mic runner. So I'm going to see if we can answer this question. So the Jews were seen as atheists. Why do you think that is? If you know. If not, that's cool, but let's see if anybody can guess. Back then, the Jews were seen as atheists. Why were they seen as atheists? Because we know that's not true, but most of the culture society saw them as atheists. Why is that? We have a hand up. Earl. 
It's because all the nations uh, worshipped idols, and so everybody worshipped idols. So anybody that worshipped God uh, directly to God, they were really strange. Yeah, because if I'm back in that day and that time and I have a God that I worship, I can see that God, right? I worship the sun or I worship the moon or I, and, and gods were location. They were stuck in their location. So if I'm in, if I'm in Ephesus, I go and worship Athena Nike because that's where Athena Nike is. But if I leave Ephesus and Athena Nike may not be some, in a, some other town, I don't worship Athena Nike. I have to give homage to another God that's in another town. And so, I mean, it makes sense though, doesn't it? Because back then you would think, right, logically, well, a God is something I'm going to see more than anything else. And so I'm going to worship that God. So we're going to make an image of that God. And when we have that image, everybody comes and looks and goes, wow, look at how big that image is. And the bigger the image, the bigger the God or the bigger the statue or the bigger the temple. Does that make sense? So you have the Jews running around and what do they say? Well, we don't worship a God that you can put in an image. You can't confine me. You can't confine me in wood. You can't confine me in a building. You can't confine me in these places. And so they were seen kind of interestingly as, as some have seen them as atheists, as, 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 as a people almost that didn't worship a real God because most real gods you, you saw and experienced. Does that make sense? Yeah, I know, right? Makes sense to me. So, so we're jumping after, so, um, so that whole idea of carved images, that's where that comes from, is this idea that God says, hey, you can't confine me, you can't put me in these carved images, you can't, you can't make me, could somebody get me a cup of water or, or a, something I can wash this? Well, no, because I need to see. <laughs> I am, I am lost without my glasses. How many of you get lost without your glasses? Can't see anything? Yeah. It happened since I turned I won't say. Um, turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. So now we're coming up on, on the third commandment. So, so we're, we're, we brought all these things in. Um, oh, thank you. Ooh, this is one of those fancy ones. I need to get one of these. So, so in Exodus chapter 20, let me read, well, I can't read it right now. But the whole idea is don't take the, the Lord's name in vain. And, um, and when he talks about taking the Lord's name in vain, what does he mean? What is he saying and how does that relate to us? Well, let's talk about names for a minute. In our Western culture, names are a little different than Eastern culture. So, so in Western culture, oh, that's cool. Look at that. So in, in, in Western culture, names were simply, uh, like we name our kids and it's to identify who they are. It's kind of a, more of an identification or classification. So I name my, you know, I name my son Cooper. My name's William, which means like great protector. I love that name, you know. Um, it's kind of superhero-ish. Uh, but, but it doesn't really, for us, it doesn't really identify, right? It doesn't really, it doesn't show my personality. It doesn't show a lot of things. So in Eastern culture, names mean so much more. In Proverbs, it actually says... Uh, a great name is better than great riches. Isn't that crazy? So, so if you have a good name, that's, that's even more better than all the riches in the world. Why? Names were extremely important. 
Now, here's, the, here's something that's interesting. And uh, as I was looking this up, there was three aspects of naming. And, and, and we're going to walk through these. The number one aspect of naming is this. A, a name shows a character of the person named. So this is in, this is in Eastern culture. So when we're reading the Bible, like when you have someone with the name, like Moses, does anybody know what Moses' name means? Okay, so his name actually means to draw out. So why do you think his name would mean to draw out? Because he was drawn out of the river and saved, right? That whole idea. So names had this incredible meaning behind them. Um, There's uh, Isaac. Isaac's name means this. It means he laughs, which I think is awesome. Anybody named Isaac? That's a popular name. Nobody in here? It's a good name. Um, So it means that he laughs. And why is Isaac? Because Sarah, and I mean, he he laughs. Um, Jesus. Jesus' actual name is Yeshua or or Joshua. And it means he saves. Okay, so you have to understand that names means so much more than, than, than what they do to us back then. They were super important. They really described, uh, the person. So number one was a name kind of identified maybe character. Uh, number two is to someone, uh, to name someone means the namer knows and understands the named and has a plan for their life or they, they understand where they're going to go. Okay. Does that make sense? So, so I know that like when, well, we know that when Jesus was born, he was going to be the savior. And so there was this, this knowledge of a plan for his life. So there was this, this power, right? There was this knowledge. So when God says in the scriptures that I know you by your name, we always think of, oh, he just knows our name, like Bill. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I know who you are at the core. I know what you're about. Your name doesn't just represent an identity of who you are. It it represents the inner you, okay? That's why names are so different and so important. And so you have this this view that if I'm naming someone, right? I'm naming, I have knowledge of who they are. I have knowledge of whether, if I'm having a son, I, I know this is where I want my son to go. This is who I want my son to be. And I have these, and so I name them like that. Now, there's a reason why we're talking through this, and I'll get to it. So that's, the, that's number two, is this knowledge. And then number three is this, the namer always has authority over the named. So whoever named us, right, has that authority over us. Uh, the, when, when God changed Abraham's name from Abram, why was he able to do it? Because he had authority, he had knowledge, he had identity. He knew who, who Abram was to make him Abraham. And he knew those changes were going to take place. Okay? So, why am I saying all that? Well, who names God? So when we talk about names, that kind of, doesn't that bring up the question of then, then how do we name God? <laughs> so if, if, if people are given names, there's authority, there's all this, not, there's all these things going on on our earthly, earthly realm. How, how then, and, and what do we call God? Like how, like how does that even work? Because number one, um, how do we identify God's character? Okay. So we could kind of do that. How do we have knowledge of all that he is? We don't, and we definitely don't have authority over him. So how, what do we do? Where do I, I mean, what does that even look like? And so this is the most important concept of the day. 
So if you were Jewish, you would understand this very simply. You can't do that. You can't name an authority. You, you can't do that. So listen to what happens. I told you to turn to Exodus 20. I'm sorry. Skip over to Exodus chapter 3. So turn to your left. Exodus chapter 3. How many of you guys have your Bibles tonight? Okay, cool. Just to warn you ahead of time, we're going to skip through a bunch of scriptures. So go like this, get your fingers worked out. And then, it, or if you have your, get your swipe ready, you know, hopefully the internet won't go out. Um, so check out what it says in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 11. So this is when God's asking Moses, right? Hey, you're going to go out and you're going to rescue my people and I'm going to send you. So listen to what happens. And think about this whole name concept when we're reading through this. Because I think it'll, hopefully it'll, you'll, you'll catch on to this. So he says this in verse 11. He says, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? I love this. Moses is like, I, look, I'm not the guy. Like, I don't know which, I'm not the guy. Because I, I, who am I to do this? Verse 12, so he said, I will certainly be with you, and this, shall be, this uh, will, shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought out the people of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers, now when he uses the word God here, it's generic, it's word, uh, it, it, I think it's Elohim at this point. He uses this word Elohim, which is like a generic word for, like, God. And so he says, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Why is that important? Why is that important? That's important because names are important. Who is this God? How am I? I don't even know how to encompass if you're God and you're, you're everything and you're all creative. How am I going to communicate that? What am I going to say? Verse 14, and God said to Moses, I am who I am. Oh, thanks. I am who I am. That was God's response. I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I don't know, that'd probably be a little more confusing to me than... Basically, uh, I am means pretty much everything. Listen as he goes on. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial, or this is my uh, memorial for all generations. Okay? So when we look at this word, it's interesting. We translate this word Lord, it's, uh, it's like this in the Hebrew. Can you guys read that? Mostly, Y-H-W-H. Um, we, we would usually kind of pronounce it as Yahweh, because we actually don't know God's real name. The, the ancient Hebrews decided that they didn't want to put vowels in their writings because they didn't want anyone 
to misuse the name of God. Because the name of God, the actual name was so powerful to them that it shouldn't even be spoken on someone's lips or written. In fact, there's, there's some reports that when scribes were translating the Bible, they would go down and as they would translate scripture, as they were scribing scripture, as they were about to write Yahweh, they would go and they would write the letter Y and they would go and head down into the creek and take a bath and cleanse themselves or like a mikvah, which we talked about. They would come back up, write the next letter H, they would go and cleanse themselves now here's the problem. This word is written over 6,800 times in the Hebrew scriptures in the Old Testament. So that took a long time. But here's what I want you to catch. They, they felt the name of God was so powerful and so holy and so pure that they didn't even want people speaking it. So when we see it translated in scripture, we see it translated as Lord... It's interesting. The word Lord is the word, it's called Adonai. And it's again like a generic term. It's not an actual name. It's more of a description. So it's like Adonai is the Lord. Um, here, here's even more interesting. If we take the word Adonai, let's see. If we take the word Adonai, this is where we get the word Jehovah, which actually isn't a, a real Jewish word. What happens was the scribe said, we don't want people pronouncing anything close to this name. So when they transliterated this, they added all of the vowels. So you have this A, this O, um, and this I. And so what they did was they they started spelling it like this. And, and there's a lot of different changes, but... Uh, I might do in this wrong. There it is. So they would do this. If you see it's Yehovah, which is translated Jehovah. Now, why is this important? Well, because you can tell Jehovah Witnesses, this isn't the, they believe this is the true name. It's not the true name of God. It's a transliteration. The Jews would never have used that name. It happened because... Whenever somebody would read Yahweh, they wanted them to say Lord and not Yahweh. They wanted to keep Adonai because the name of God was so powerful. The name of God was something that wasn't to be spoken. The name of God was something that he described himself as, that no one else could have, no one else could be. Um, and so we have the name. And, and then we jump into Exodus chapter 20, talking about... don't. Take this name in vain. So what does that mean? What does that mean to you and I today? What, how does that relate to this idea of, hey, if there's a marriage contract and God doesn't want me to take his name in vain, how do I live that out? Does that mean I just don't curse? Is that what that says? That if I'm good, if I just, you know, if I'm not angry with God and I don't, you know, add that bad word at the end of his name, then, then all is good? I think it goes much deeper than that. And so we're going to jump into kind of what that is in a little bit. So, so again, so the Hebrews had the sacredness of his name and, and, and they thought it was super important that we, they couldn't pronounce it. And so, 
so now we say Lord God or we say, uh, or we say Adonai or different names. That's how that's translated, uh, in the scriptures. So go to Exodus chapter 20. Go back to the Ten Commandments and look at this with me. This is really cool. So it says this in verse 7. It says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. What have you what do you believe this means? We get on the microwaves. What somebody or some people, what do you believe this means? What what is this saying to us? Yeah, we got some right here. I think like you said, it means more than just using his word as a curse word. It means doing anything to demean the value of his name. Absolutely. Living in a way uh, that would be demeaning to his name and then claiming to be a child of God would be using his name in vain. Absolutely. Good. I think we had someone else back here. You were going to say that same thing? Word for word. That's pretty good. Yes. But maybe uh, to not speak his name unless it's directly in prayer to him. Okay. To not sp- and, and kind of maybe expand on that a little bit. What do you mean by that? Unless you're uh, you know speaking directly to God, you wouldn't use that name. Like you know, like unless you were praying to him. Okay. Okay. I, I was thinking more physically. You're right there in his midst. I'm like, oh yeah, we'd be in trouble. So good. Somebody else. So when we, we take this word, let's, let's break these words down a little bit. Um, I'm going to take two, two words and kind of uh, write them out here. Take and vain. Does anybody have different translations on those words? I'm sure you do. I mean, I have a real accurate Bible, but you might have a... Okay, misuse. Okay, what else? What do you guys have? You have misused too? Anybody else have a different one? Okay. So interestingly, so it says don't take. That word, that word take is, I mean, it is the word take. It means to carry. So this idea of, of carrying something. So the picture is this, is, is you're, you have something over here that needs to go over here. And you pick it up and you carry it, right? So you're actually carrying this, okay? And then this vein, this is an interesting word. It means uh, emptiness. I'll just put empty. Um, this is a cool definition. Let me, uh, let me make sure I get this right. It, it's anything that disappoints the hope that rests upon it. Now, that's a mouthful, but, but really think about that. Anything that disappoints the hope that rests upon it. So when you expect something to be there and it isn't, that's vain, right? It's empty. So, you know, if I, if I go and, and I'm expecting, you know, to get in my car and have a full tank of gas, right? And I turn it on and the tank is empty, Right? I, basically, that's in a sense vain. It's, there's emptiness involved there. Right? There, there, there's nothing left. So, so the verse says, don't take the name of God and carry it in what? 
in emptiness. Don't carry it in emptiness. So, so how does that relate to you and I? How do we sometimes take God's name and carry it into emptiness? By proclaiming to be a Christian and not holding to um, Jesus' way. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're proclaiming God, but you're not really living like you believe in God. Absolutely. I, I was also thinking that maybe you could be teaching against God's character. We're going to get to that. Yep. We're going to get to that a little bit later. Yeah. Um, by when you use his name, you're not saying anything at all. Just using his name for no purpose or reason, just emptiness. I mean, I mean to say emptiness, but for no purpose. So kind of this idea that even though I may claim his name, and I, but I'm not living anything, I'm not doing anything. No. Um, just when you're using his name, it's for no purpose or no reason. You're not saying anything. You're just using his name. Okay. So, remember how names are important. So I believe, I believe scripture is really clear that, that, that God's name is alive and moving. It, it does stuff. It's not like our, you know, you say my name, Bill, big deal. You say God's name. You say Yahweh, you say Adonai, you say Lord, you say God. There is something when we pray, when we, God's name is powerful. That's not something, again, we carry into emptiness. So all throughout scripture, it's very interesting. We see God, this thing pop up. Because another name for God that I didn't mention before. So we call him Lord Adonai. We call him, uh, there's another word, God, which is translated Elohim. But there's another one where we translate, it's called Hashem. And you know what Hashem means? It means the name. That's all it is. And so sometimes God is referenced as the name. And so you have this picture of the name. Why? Because his name is above all names. He self-identified himself as everything, as the center of all existence. So he is the Hashem. He is the name. So turn over to Exodus 23 and look at this with me. Exodus 23, verse 20. We're going to go on a little journey through scripture right now and and look at some scriptures with this in it. It says this in verse 20. He says, Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him. I love that. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my what is in him. Now that's kind of interesting, isn't it? For my name is in him. My Shem, if you want to translate it that way, my Hash, the Hashem is in, right, an angel. So, so what's the picture here? What, what, what is going on? So, saying I, so God can place his name, right? place his name somewhere and it does stuff. Okay. It, 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 it changes things. Now go with me on this. Uh, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 12, uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. 
If you were a 12-year-old Jewish boy, you would have had this memorized by now. But we don't. So in chapter 12, look at verse 10. There it is. Listen to what it says. In chapter 12, verse 10, it says, But when you cross over the Jordan and dwell in the land which the Lord, the Lord your God is giving you to inherit. So he's, he's speaking to his people. He's preparing them. And he says, And he gives you rest from all your enemies, which next week we're going to talk about rest. We're going to talk about Sabbath. You will not want to miss out. It's going to be an incredible week next week. Um, we've got some really exciting stuff happening. Um, and it says this, it says, so where he gives you rest from all your enemies round about so that you dwell in safety. And then he says, then there will be the place where the Lord, your God chooses, listen to what it says to make his Shem or to make his name live or abide. So re- Moses is remembering something God's going to do in the future. And he says, I'm going to put in place my Shem and it's going to, and, 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 it, and God's going to choose for people to, to live in his name. Now, that's kind of crazy when you think about it. Because God's name, again, it's not stagnant. It's not static. It does stuff. And we can live in his name and we can abide in his name. And when we follow him, we're covered by the Hashem or the name. We have his name upon us where we live in it. And that's going to be important in just a little bit. Turn over to Psalm chapter 20. Again, we're going on this journey over to your right. And these are, there's tons in scripture. These are just a few. Listen to what it says in Psalm 20. It says this, it says, uh, may the Lord in verse one, it says, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. (laughs) May the Name of God, the God of Jacob, defend you. So again, viewing the name as something that can protect you. So it has this power to protect you and it does something. It dwells, it abides, it protects. It can be put into something. God's name can be put somewhere. You seeing a pattern here? You're seeing all these different things? Turn to the right again to Isaiah. Uh, chapter 30. Your fingers are going to hurt, I know. In, tw- in verse 27, look at what it says. It says, it says, Behold, the name of the Lord comes from afar, burning with his anger and his burden is heavy. His lips are full of indignation and his tongue like a devouring fire. And it goes on. So you can see here, it's a description. It's a, it's a, it's a word picture of his, his name coming for judgment. The Shem is coming. Okay? Turn over to Micah 4.5, almost to the end of the Old Testament. And in Micah 4, verse 5, it says this. And we'll, we'll, we'll get, we're gonna, we're gonna walk through this, but I wanna, I wanna show you the depth of this in scripture before we do that. Uh, in chapter four, verse five, it says this, it says, for all people walk each in the name of his God, but we will walk 
in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. So, so his name is something that can be placed on people or his name is, is, is something. It's a, it's a presence that it protects us. It's a way of living. When we live for God, we live in his name. We lived in his Shem. We live in that. And it will make sense when we get to the end of this. Now let's hit the New Testament. Look at John twenty thirty. John chapter 20. <laughs> I like this one. So John chapter 20, verse 30, it says this. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in what? In his name. And so we continue in the New Testament with the same idea, the same thought, that the name of God is something so powerful and so important that we can have life in his name, living, moving, breathing. Okay? Um, again, just a couple more. Acts chapter 5. Like Bill, you're overwhelming me with this name thing. I hope so. Acts chapter 5. Look at verse 4. Actually, verse 40, not 4. So, this is when the, the apostles were getting uh, in trouble for speaking out. And, um, and they don't want to kill them. Because they know it's going to cause a riot and it's going to cause problems. So they just beat them a little bit. Um, and it says this in verse 40. It says, and they agreed with them. Um, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them. Listen to what this says. It's interesting. It says, then they commanded them that they should not speak in the name of Jesus. And he let them go. So don't speak in the name of Jesus. Judging, they didn't say don't speak about Jesus. They said don't speak in the name of Jesus. Why? Why did they say name? Why? Because there's an authority behind it. There's a power behind it. Um, listen to what it says then in verse 41. So they departed from the presence of the council. This is the apostles. Rejoicing. Uh, this, they're rejoicing they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. So they're like, yeah, oh man, we're so glad that we got beat up for his name. Like, yeah, sweet. Can you believe that just happened? I mean, they're rejoicing. They're celebrating because they're being persecuted for living under the authority of the name of Christ. Okay? Interesting. Okay, First Peter. Turn over there. I've got all these notes in my Bible, and so every time I try and turn somewhere, these notes pop out. Okay, here we go. First Peter. Look at chapter 4. How many of you guys are tired of turning scripture? Don't say yes, because that would be bad. Anybody tired? Okay, good. Chapter 4, look at verse 14. Listen to what it says again here in verse 14. 
It says, if you are reproached for the what? For the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So, so we're seeing a pattern here that even throughout Old Testament, New Testament, the name, the name of God has this extreme amount of, of power and, and authority over us. And we can live in it and move in it. And it protects us. Okay? Okay? One last verse. Third John, almost to the end of the Bible. Look at that. And we're going to end with this one. Listen to what it says. I think that was like nine scriptures in a row. Pretty cool. Third uh, John, verse... Right, it's in the middle of verse 6. It says this. Actually, just start in verse 6. It says, Who, who have borne witness of your love before the church? And it says this. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well... Because they went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. Okay? And so what this is describing as the apostles went out and as as Christians go out, that they take on the name of God upon them. Okay? That they take on the name of God upon them. So why did I share all the scriptures with you? And Because I want you to see how important this is. And I want you to know... That as Christians, and as followers of Christ, that wherever we go, wherever we go, we carry his name on us. That you have no, if you claim Christ in your life, he has put his name upon you. He has sealed you. Do you guys realize this? That his, and so, whatever you're doing, however you're living, you're carrying this Hashem, you're carrying this name by your lifestyle. I'm carrying this name by my lifestyle. So when I claim to know Jesus, when I claim to live for him, how I live is an example or a witness to the world at who God is. So if I take God's name and I carry it in vain, if I say, oh, I'm a follower of Christ and I'm cheating on my taxes or I'm the worst employee in the building or I'm a terrible driver and I get tickets all the time or I'm a horrible neighbor who yells at my other neighbors, the list can go on, then I'm taking God's name because I'm living for him and I'm carrying it into emptiness. I'm not practicing what I'm preaching. I think someone on the front here said that. I'm not living what God has called me to live. And I make his name, which is all powerful and something that it shouldn't even be pronounceable. And I make it vain, useless, worthless. Let me ask you this. How does the world, how does the world see the American Christian? This is how they see it. Vain and empty. I got a friend right now. And uh, he's an atheist. Used to be on fire for Jesus, a part of uh, this church that burned him out, and uh, and basically he went the other way, and he decided I want nothing to do with God, and in fact I'm going to do everything I can to destroy God. 
So his Facebook post, he goes out and does horrible things to Christians. Uh, and he's a friend of mine. And he knows I'm a pastor, and I harass him all the time. Um, and when he leaves really bad Facebook posts, I'll go in and I'll just say, oh, dude, you're missing. And we, we go back and forth because I'm trying to love him back to the kingdom, I'm trying to love him back so, so that he understands that I do have a heart for him. But here's what I'm saying. His whole reason why he left the church is because of this, because he just saw a bunch of empty lives. He saw a bunch of people claiming they knew Christ, but they didn't live any different than the people who he worked with, who weren't Christians. In fact, he even said the people that he worked with were at least honest and they knew where they were at and they discussed their sin and they talked about it free and openly. And he would catch his other Christian friends who didn't do it. And so God says, man, if this thing's going to work, then we need to be people who take God's name and not carry it into emptiness. It's much more than just language. It's much more than taking his name in vain and putting a GD at the end of something or having, I mean, it's way more than that. It's super important. Here, here's the crazy thing that I don't understand. And I'm going to ask God this when we get there. God entrusts, now listen to this. God entrusts his reputation on his people. That's you and I. Some of you are the only church, the only Jesus that someone's ever going to know. Because you have the name of God on you. You have the name of God on you. And so they know it, you know it. And so they're watching how you live and in your situations and in your life, how you're reacting and what you're doing. And they're saying, that's who, that's how I'm going to know God by the only Christian I know. Who's either my neighbor or my family, whatever that is. And God entrusts us with that. He says, I'm going to put that authority. I'm going to put my name upon you. And when I put my name upon you, you know what that means? There's authority on you. You represent. You represent me. So wherever we go, we represent him. Why does God do that? Why does he let people? Here, here, here's the thing I don't get. Here's a question I have. Why does God allow allow people who ruin his name continue to carry his name? And yet it happens. I'm not going to answer that. You can look it up and, and study that. So some Christians say, "Hey, you know what? I just want to be." I just want to be a good witness in my life. I just want to, and, and here's what I'm going to respond to that is, you are a witness. You don't all of a sudden become a witness and say, someday I'm going to witness and share my life with someone who isn't a Christian. Here, here's the reality. Everybody who isn't a believer is looking at you as a believer and you are the witness. Whatever you're doing in your life is a witness to them. And, and how you live for God is how they're going to view God. That's a huge amount of pressure. But that's what God has called us to. Does that mean we live perfectly? Absolutely not. Does that mean God wants us to live, you know, be this, hey, I'm just going to carry my Bible wherever I go and I don't sin? And no. But you know what it means? It means being real. It means being transparent. It means when I blow it, I, I talk about blowing it. Right now I'm... I'm meeting with the guy, he's our mortgage banker, and we, we just, it's crazy, this is going to sound really bad, but 
We, we found this guy on Facebook, and God worked it out. I don't know how he did this, but as we were looking for a house, um, I was looking up some things, doing some research, and I found this certain mortgage banker and happened to be this guy on Facebook. We connected. We started talking. We bought a house. We got a loan through him, and we started building this relationship. And it's interesting listening Listening to his life, he's on his, well, he just divorced. He's on his fourth marriage, just, just divorced. He's got like 19 kids from all these different, I mean, just crazy story. But talking about how he views Christ through people. And so the conversations we have are all about, I say, hey, so what do you think about Jesus? Like, yeah, maybe someday I'll get back to that. I'm like, what's holding you back? Well, not really sure about the church. Well, is there something wrong with the building, you know? No, 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 not that, you know, I, I don't know. I've worked with a lot of Christian, not really sure. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, I don't know if they're much different than the other people I work with, the other people I serve. I say, okay, Tony, hold off, you know, and I try and walk him through saying, God is not like that. But you see, this is why God says, don't carry my name into emptiness. Don't carry my name into emptiness. My, if I put my authority on you, if I put my name on you, it should be, you should take that and make something of it. And make something powerful out of it. And so, so you and I have been witnessing. You and I have been there. I've been demonstrating to the world who God is. So, so, so how does this, how does this work out in my everyday life? Well, well, here's how it works out. If, if I'm stressed out to the point of I can't handle things, if I, and I'm trying to take on things in my life and pressures in my life that I should be surrendering to God, right? or if I'm going through situations where maybe there's a sickness in the family and I don't know what to do, and instead of going to God, I, I try and take care of things myself. Or if I'm, you know, guys, we do this well. We, we have problems and we like to solve them and we don't go to God and and it turns out to be a mess. So what I'm telling the world, what I'm telling people around me is that's who God is. God is someone who can't take care of stress. God is someone, does this make sense? Because he's put his name on you and I. He's put his name on us and we're carrying that and we are witnessing. And if I, and if I carry his name, I'm showing by my life to the world who he is. Now, let's go to this word swearing. Because usually, typically, that's where we go with this commandment. So we say, I'm not going to use the word tonight. There's some kids in here. I wouldn't use it anyway. I promise that. I won't use it. And so if we say like, God, hmm. We cover our kids' ears, right? Oh, you said the Lord's name in vain. You're going straight to hell, right? <laughs> yeah, or, or. We see a movie and, and people say this all the time or we hear it by non-believers. And so as Christians, we look at the world and we go, oh, you, you guys are so messed up, don't we? We say, oh, you're using the Lord's name in vain. You're, you're, you're cussing, you're, you're, you're doing this, you're do and, and we're looking at this outer picture when they don't even really understand what they're saying. Now, now here's where this kind of flips on us, and, and please, you may disagree with me on this. While they're telling us this, we, 
as Christians, and I'm not just saying every, yes, as, as the church, we cuss by our lives. And, and, and let me ask you this, and here, here's what I mean. If, if I'm living my life not as God intended, and I'm living my life selfishly, and I'm claiming to be a Christian, then my life is a cuss word to the world. My life is a cuss word to God. And so we're complaining about the world using language, and get this, the world is complaining about us by our lifestyle. So who, who do you think is more responsible for breaking that commandment? The neighbor next door who says GD? Or me, when I say, oh yeah, I love Jesus, and I go out and I party and I get crazy, or I go out and, I'm, and I know I'm doing things I shouldn't do, and I'm living this lifestyle, and then I'm coming to church on Sunday and act like nothing different. I'm, I don't care. Movies, TV, all of these things. What does the world say about Christians? That's exactly what they're saying. They're, they're saying about us, guys. You're hypocrites. You don't practice what you preach. You're taking his name. I mean, how, how many pastors do we see having affairs? Do you see what I'm saying? Because we haven't realized the incredible authority that God has given us. We haven't realized the incredible responsibility. The New Testament calls us ambassadors of Christ. Like if you really believed you were an ambassador, think about this for a minute. That you represent God wherever you go. So when you walk into Starbucks, you're an ambassador of Christ. When you, when they ask you, you know, what drink do you want to say? I get it free because I'm an ambassador. I mean, that wouldn't work, but that would be awesome. Right? Because you represent God. And it doesn't matter if you work at Taco Bell. It doesn't matter if you work at Intel. It doesn't matter if you work at Starbucks. That's your secondary job. Your first responsibility is that you're an ambassador of his. And you represent. Wherever you... The, when you said, hey, God, I'm going to follow you, that's what you bought into. There's no getting out of it. Whether you like it or not. You can't say, okay, God, I'm in, and then all of a sudden it's like, well, I'm just going to live how I want. Because his name is still on you, and you're an ambassador. You represent him. You represent him wherever you go. And so language isn't the main point of the third commandment. God says, I'm putting my name on you. Don't misuse my name. Don't misuse my name. Don't make it something it isn't. Don't, don't take my name and do things that are incompatible with who I am. You can study scripture all you want and have this head knowledge, but if you don't have a heart for people, then the studying of scripture means nothing. If we can't live it out, if I can't live it out. If everybody knows me as the person who knows the Bible and I'm not the most loving person and I use the Bible as a weapon or a tool against that person to hurt them, I'm missing the point. Because I represent God. And yes, there's justice. And yes, we hold people accountable. Don't get me wrong on that. I get that. But we do it out of love. We do it out of those, those things knowing that we represent. And so, so people who carry the name of Christ and live however they want, they're the ones 
taking the name and carrying it in emptiness. And so here's my challenge for you and challenge for me as well is to say, how can I live my life as a believer, as a follower and understand the depths of every morning waking up and saying, God, you know what? Your name is on me. Thank you, number one. Thank you, God, for entrusting me with your name. Thank you, God, for saving me. I didn't deserve to be saved. I was headed to hell and you saved me. And now that I have your name, help me to go out into the world and share that name. Help me to live honoring your name in everything that I do, in every choice that I make, in every situation that I'm in. I know I'm not going to be perfect at it, God. I know that there's going to be times where I'm just, I'm going to be in a really bad mood. There's, but you know what's cool about that? Is then I go back the next day and say, hey, you know what? I want you to know yesterday I was in a really bad mood and I apologize. Because I want to live my life honoring God. And honoring God means I, you know what? I fess up to when I blow it and I confess those things and I want to walk through them and I want to ask for your forgiveness. You see how different that is? than just living and ignoring and moving. I think for me, and I hope for you, that if we can grasp hold of that, I mean, how many, we have about 170 ambassadors in this room. I mean, think about that for a minute. Think about tomorrow, if we all got up and went into our workplaces, especially me, because I work at the church and people need Jesus there so bad. It's a joke that you guys are laughing. You're like, yep, they do. <laughs> you guys kind of scared me on that one. So how do I live? How can I live for my neighbor? I have a neighbor. She drives like a nut. I want to throw stuff at her. I almost threw a brick at her car the other day. She's going to hit my kids. I know something's going to happen. So how do I love my neighbor? How do I go and say kindly, hey, stop driving or I'm going to kill you? In, in a nice Jesus way, right? Because that's where the rubber meets the road, right? What about that person at work that annoys us? What, those are the things that we have to start thinking through. Or how do I respond when something bad happens? How am I going to live? How, how are people, do, am I leaning on God or am I leaning on my own strength? And so, so my, my encouragement my, is for you and for me to say, hey, how can we live in such a place where, man, we are motivated and moved to make a huge difference in our world? Because here's what's God saying. I want you to take my name and I want you to carry it and make it something. That's awesome. So if this marriage thing's going to work, right? If we go back to the Ten Commandments, if this marriage thing is going to work, then then I need you to make sure you're really living for me. And I want to be sure that you're going to make something out of my name. You guys, you can make something out of God's name. You and I can do that. So I challenge you to do that this week. Let me pray for you. Jesus, and we went through a lot And I know some of that may have been confusing and some of that may have got off track, but I want to pray, Lord, in the midst of all that, that, again, your name is honored. And that the point we got out of that is this, that no matter what we do 
or how we live that it's honoring to you. That we never, ever take your name and carry it into any kind of emptiness. But that we carry your name and make it something powerful. That we are world changers and life changers in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our families. And God, we need your help because, man, that is not easy. And that is a huge calling. And Lord, I, I, I mean, I even think of my own family and the times where I've blown it so much. And the times that I've, I didn't take the road that represented you right. Help me to see those things. Help us to see those things. And help us to see them when they happen. And redirect us and teach us so that we, we could be the kind of people that are honoring to you. Man, I would love to see that, Lord. 180 people right here this next week. We could change this area if we just live the way you've asked us to live. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much.